Merry Christmas. And may God bless you this week with a very wonderful holiday uh, season with family and friends and uh, with safety. And for those who struggle during holiday seasons, may God fill your hearts with comfort because not everyone uh, looks upon the holiday season with the joy that some of us get to. Uh, because, let's face it, life is full of both joy and sorrow, and oftentimes that's felt keenly during the holiday season. You know, when you think about all the songs that we hear this time of year, uh, it's a time of what we call Christmas music, and there's all different types. I mean, uh, you have your hymns, like we've just sung this morning, songs about the birth of Jesus that touch all of our hearts. You have your secular music. You have your music about Santa Claus. You have your music about Frosty the Snowman. And then I like especially the songs that are kind of funny in nature. Uh, you know, how many of us haven't enjoyed Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, right? I mean, isn't that a great Christmas song? I mean, you're talking about cheer. Uh, and so it, it's just a season of uh, a special type of music. You hear it on the radio. Uh, we play it in the office here at church. And, and if you were to be asked this question, what is your favorite Christmas song, what would you choose? Of all the songs that are out there, probably one immediately comes to your mind. I don't know that I have a favorite. Like I said, uh, the Maneficat may well be the new one because that was just such a beautiful, beautiful song. I just had to sit there and listen or stand there and listen as we sang it together. But, but one of my favorites that would make definitely the top, probably the top three, is a song that was written several years ago entitled, Mary Did You Know? Uh, written by Mark Lowry, who at the time was uh, a member of the Gaither Vocal Band. And he was touring with the Gaithers and in 1984 sat down and wrote the words to this song. Now what's fascinating is it took seven years to find someone who could write the music. Mark, in an interview, said that he was not simply going to let anyone put it to music. He gave it to multiple composers, had them to, you know, write music for it, but he told them, if it's not perfect, I'm not going to accept it. And evidently, it took a while, till 1991, when Buddy Green, who happened to be touring with the Gaithers in 1991, Mark gave him the words and said, could you write music to this song I wrote seven years ago? And in one day, Buddy Green wrote the beautiful music to Mary, Did You Know? It was then sung or recorded the very first time the same year of all people by Michael English, who was in the vocal, the Gaither vocal band with Mark. Now, why Mark didn't record it, I don't know. I would think that if I would written the words of that song, I would want to be the one that recorded it. But he gave it to Michael English, and it's now been recorded dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, by different artists. In fact, one of the things Mark said is he went in Walmart one day and began to look at all the different artists, many of whom he didn't even know had, had recorded his song. I like what Mark said in the interview. He said, the reason I wrote the song was, he said, I started thinking of the questions I would have for her if I were to sit down and have coffee with Mary. I know a lot of us had coffee this morning. Imagine sitting at a table like this, and Mary sitting there with you, and you had an hour to ask her any question you wanted to ask her. What questions would you ask? Notice what Mark says. 
He says, you know, what was it like raising God? Boy, that, that's a fascinating one. What did you know? What didn't you know? And, and one of the things I love about Lowry's answer to this question, he said, I wanted to ask questions, which is all he does in the song, except for a little bridge in which he kind of goes to Isaiah, he goes to the Gospels and Jesus' response to Luke, and he kind of says a little bit of what Jesus was doing. But mostly he asked questions without giving the answers. And Lowry said, all I wanted people to do when they heard the song were to meditate on those questions. And I love that concept. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy, he's come to make you new? And I love this last line of this first one. This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to the blind man? Did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has trod where angels, excuse me, yes, has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And then you have that beautiful bridge. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak. The praises of the Lamb picks up on that theme there of Lamb. And then he ends with some of the best theology of any Christmas song out there. I mean, it is just absolutely incredible the questions he ends with. Did you know that your baby is Lord of all of creation? Did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Coming out of Psalm 2 and that first of the Messianic Psalms. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, this sleeping child you're holding? And then he goes back to the Exodus story of Mary is the great I am. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question. If you could sit around a table drinking coffee with Mary and Joseph, what would you ask them? I mean, if you had one hour with Joseph and Mary, both of them there, what would you want to know? And of course, I know that we can't do that. I mean, I wish we could. Maybe one day when, you know, the Lord comes back, we'll be able to do that. And, and I do know that there's going to be coffee in eternity because Jesus is making everything perfect, okay? So you know it's there. But what we do know is what the Bible reveals to us. And if you just pause for a moment and look at the Gospels, there are a lot of things that we can know about Jesus coming into the world. I appreciated so much last week's stand as he was talking about the danger of conflating the stories. He said, be careful that you don't take Luke and you don't take Matthew and you just kind of read them together as if they're happening at the same time. And yet at the same time, you do have to take the two stories and put them side by side and let them fill in the gaps, which they do beautifully. You know, Mark doesn't have a nativity story. There's no birth of Christ story in Mark. John goes all the way back to creation, skips the birth story because both Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew and Luke had, had covered that, but he goes all the way back to Genesis to end the beginning. But both Matthew and Luke 
tell their stories. And that's what we know about the birth of Jesus. And so I want to begin by asking this question. What did Mary know? We may not know a lot of what she knew, but there are some things we can. And we have to go to Luke's gospel. Luke's the one that focuses on Mary. Matthew focuses on Joseph. Amazing the difference in those two. But when you turn over to Luke chapter 1, you have, of course, at the very beginning of this gospel, the birth announcement of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Zachariah and Elizabeth are told in their old age, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be great, filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. I mean, beautiful things about John the Baptist. But then Luke picks up in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Becomes very important here in the story. And then we're told all of these facts. Notice, very simply put, God sent the angel Gabriel, going all the way back to the book of Daniel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Nazareth is absolutely, in Jesus' day, a little crossroads, a village that, hey, the saying was, can anything good come from Nazareth? Kind of reminds me and Tony of people who say, can anything good come from Mississippi? And the answer is yes. It's called I-55 North, all right? It's how you get to Tennessee from Mississippi, at least one way. But anyway, they're up in Nazareth in Galilee, and notice Gabriel comes to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name is Mary. So we have a virgin, we have Joseph, descended from David, we have Mary. The basic facts. And of course, among them is the fact that they're engaged. Now, engagements back then were very different than today. We, we have basically what we call love courting. You know, June and I got married because I asked her out for a date. She finally said yes. We went out, got to know each other. We began to fall in love. Would you like to get married? Sure. You know, and now we have kids, we have grandkids. I've got two grandsons who's back in kids' church right now. And so it's just wonderful the way it works today. Back then it didn't work that way. All the marriages were arranged. And I have oftentimes thought to myself, I don't think I would have liked to have lived back then. Because I'm not sure who my dad would have picked, but I do know who my mom would have picked, and I wouldn't have liked it, Okay. I mean, can you imagine your parents getting together and saying, okay, we found a daughter for our son. But that's exactly how it happened in Jesus' day. And so Joseph's parents would have got together with Mary's parents, and they would begin negotiating. Here's the bridal price. Here's when the probable date will take place. Usually engagements last a year because the young man would have to build living quarters for his new wife. He would have to save up money to support her early in the marriage. And so it usually lasted about a year. And so at some point in time, you can picture as Joseph's parents and Mary's parents are negotiating, they seal the deal. It's a legally binding agreement, breakable only by a handwriting of divorce. So you need to understand the difference between ancient betrothals and what they are today. I mean, you literally had to divorce if you wanted to break up an engagement. And so they had been engaged. Now, how well they knew each other? Come on, Nazareth's the little village. I'm sure Joseph knew who Mary was. I'm sure Mary knew who Joseph was. I don't know how excited they were. I suspect they were somewhat excited, finally getting married, starting a family. Then an angel shows up. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And like every other instance in the Bible, when an angel shows up in all of his glory, I say that because there were always undercover angels. 
angels who are unaware. People didn't know they were angels. But here an angel shows up in all of his glory. It's Gabriel. And he greets Mary. Notice that. You who are highly favored. I'd love to know why he said that. Interesting question. But notice the response of Mary. Greatly troubled. I mean, the response every time is the same. What in the world is going on? Who is this? And why has he appeared to me? And Gabriel does the same thing every other angel does. Do not be afraid, Mary. And then what follows is a series of incredible statements about what God is doing in and through Mary. Look at the language up there. You have found favor with God. Why? Was it her prayer life? Was it her attendance at the synagogue? Was she obedient to her parents? Was there something about her heart? And I suspect the answer is yes to all of that. But somehow she had found favor with God. And, and here is the angel saying, because of that, you will conceive, give birth to a son, and you are to call him Yeshua. We say Jesus. They would have called him Joshua, which means Yahweh's salvation has now come. Beautiful, beautiful Old Testament name. And boy, look at the things next. He'll be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God's going to give him the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. But you know something? Mary didn't hear anything past, you will conceive. I mean, right there is what she heard. And you say, how do you know that? Because she asked the question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, here is this 14, 15, 16-year-old young Jewish girl, and she's like, okay, I understand the facts of life, and this is not one of them. How am I going to conceive? And I love what Gabriel said to her. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, that answered that question, didn't it? I mean, in other words, God's going to do it. And I'm sure Mary's thinking, uh, I still don't understand and, and he goes on to say he's going to be called the Son of God. And by the way, your relative Elizabeth, some translations says cousin, it's probably a distant relative, uh, relative, she's fixing to now have a child in her old age. It was said that it was impossible for her to conceive. You're wondering how this is going to happen? No word from the Lord will ever fail. And I love Mary's response. This is from the new... Uh, international reader's version. But it simply says, I serve the Lord. Which probably answers the question why she found favor in the eyes of God. Her response is simple. I serve the Lord. Now, here's what happens next. Mary needed someone whom she could talk to who wouldn't think she was crazy. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You see, if if... I had a daughter, if Jen and I had a daughter, and she showed up one day after school and said, Mom and Dad, I need to tell you something. Okay, what do you need? Well, y'all need to sit down. All right, we're sitting down. What do you need to tell us? Uh, I'm expecting. And, of course, you know the first question Jen and I would ask. You're going to bring that kind of shame on us as preachers and their wives? No, no, we wouldn't ask that question. Instead, who's the dad? And I want you to think about if you had a daughter and that was the question you asked and her response was, God, what would you do? I know exactly what I'd do. I'd take out my cell phone, I'd hit the number, and when Brian Shepard answered, I'd say, buddy, we got a problem. 
I need to come see you right now. I've got a daughter who just blamed God on getting pregnant. And, and of course, Brian would probably say, we do have a problem. I mean, who blames God on this? And I don't know if Mary, again, one of those questions I would love to ask, Mary, did you go and tell your parents that? We don't know. What we do know is that she immediately went to talk to Elizabeth. If there was anyone who would understand what's going on in her life, it would be her distant relative because something miraculous was happening in her life. Now, again, all the questions. Did she go by herself? Does a 15-year-old Jewish girl leave Nazareth and travels all the way down 80, 90 miles to the hill country of Judea by herself? And, of course, if she didn't, who went with her? Did her mom? Did her dad? Did her brother? Did a a cousin? Did did a friend? Did she run off without telling her parents? I mean, all of these questions, we don't know. But here's what we do know. Is that while she was traveling down to see Elizabeth, she's processing. She's thinking about what Gabriel had said. I don't know how long it takes you to process information. I have to process information at least for two days. I mean, you know, there's an old saying going around among preachers, and it's been around forever. If every preacher quit on Monday, that felt like quitting on Monday, there'd be no preachers. I mean, you know, weekends can be stressful sometimes. And so you have to process all this information. She's processing an enormous amount of information. And one of the things I know for a certain is that when she got down there, she's beginning to think, okay, what about this and this and this and this? All of these questions in her mind. I mean, he will be great, be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, what in the world am I supposed to do with all this, especially knowing that the he, him, and his is soon going to be taking up residence in her womb? In fact, by the time she gets there, it's happened. Listen to me carefully. If you take nothing home today but this, I hope you'll remember this. Mary isn't the only human to experience the incarnation. You see, the physical Jesus came into her body. But for those of us who choose to follow Jesus, the spiritual Jesus comes into ours. The same he, him, and his wants to live right here in my heart and wants to live in your heart. Paul would put it this way in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Incarnation, yes. Only in Mary, no. In fact, today, as soon as we get through eating, there's going to be hundreds of people going out to the community with Jesus Christ alive in them. That's the miracle of the incarnation. That is a miracle with Mary. This is even a greater miracle in my life and in your life, and we've got to learn to believe that. He gets down there. She gets down there. She goes into their house, greets Elizabeth. I love this last phrase here. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what follows next, you've got to believe Mary so desperately needed to hear it. She's got all of these questions. Could this be possible? Is this really happening? And look what Elizabeth says to her in a loud voice. A loud voice. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you'll bear. And why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord 
should come to me. And you know at that point, Mary gets it. It's true. What she needed to hear from her cousin, she just heard. And what follows is this Magnificat that we just sang a few moments ago. Mary breaks out in song. She's been thinking about it for three, four, five, who knows, a week perhaps. As she's traveling from up in Nazareth all the way down to the hill country of Judea. And all at once she begins to break out in song, my soul glorifies. We call it the Magnificat because that's the word in Latin for glorifies here. And I looked at all the translations in our English Bible. Praises, lifts up, is ecstatic, declares, sings with thanks, gives glory, proclaims the greatness, exalts, is overflowing with praise, glorify, magnifies. And what follows are all of these statements about God. In fact, that's what's so amazing to me. She talks about how that God has has been, you know, there to bless her. She'll be called blessed by people from now on. That, that he tears down the proud. He, he sends the rich away empty. He raises up the low at heart. He's now come to revisit Israel. And she never mentions Jesus, not once in her song. And yet the song is all about Jesus. I mean, one of those songs that you look at going, okay, who is this about? Is about how God, through her son, is going to accomplish all of this. She stays with Elizabeth about three months. I would have loved to have heard the conversations. Elizabeth, what do you think? What's going on here? How is this going to happen? I mean, what's God doing in you and and, and Zechariah? I mean, can't you imagine all the conversations, all sitting around the, the table drinking a cup of water, you know, as they think about what is God doing in our lives? And of course, now she goes back home and it's been about, four, four and a half months since she got pregnant. And now we move to Joseph. Because here's where the story picks up with him. Joseph, what did you know? And of course, Matthew begins with the same kind of, here's the cast of characters. This is how the birth of Yeshua took place, the Messiah. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. The exact same thing that Luke said. But... And boy, was there ever an exception clause. Now, here's one of the things that's fascinating about Joseph. I've got up here facts about Joseph because you know what? When you turn into Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, do you know that Joseph never utters a word? Not one. No quotation from Joseph at all. Now, Mary, she speaks a lot. But not Joseph. Reminds me of my mom and dad. My mom loved to talk. And now you know where I got it from. My dad, one of the quietest men in the world. June said one time, she said, we were married five years before I knew your dad could speak. And that was because my mom never quit talking. You know, I, I, I used to tell people she talks while she's awake, she talks while she's asleep, and everywhere in between. You know, mom just loved to talk. Well, I I suspect Joseph wanted to talk. We just don't have anything that he said in the text. But we have a lot about him. First of all, he's a descendant of King David, which probably explains why he's up in Nazareth. You see, at this time, King Herod's on the throne. King Herod, who wants no rivals. 
The king who killed two of his own sons because he feared them that they might threaten his throne. And anybody from the house of David was in danger. And so if you're wondering how in the world did Joseph get up to Nazareth, my guess is he's trying to get as far away from King Herod as he possibly can. And so he's a descendant of King David. He's a construction worker. Now, what's fascinating about this, we all know that, you know, he's a carpenter and that Jesus will become a carpenter. Do you know that that's only used twice in the entire New Testament, that word carpenter? And both of them about the same incident when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, one in Matthew's gospel, one in Mark's gospel. One, isn't this the carpenter? The other says, isn't this the son of the carpenter? But that word carpenter, you know, we always envision a little wood shop out behind their house in Nazareth, Jesus making a table or chairs. That's probably not what's going on at all. You see, it means construction worker. There's not a lot of trees in Israel at this time. And so very likely what's going on is that he's working probably nearby. You see, this is a picture of the archaeological ruins of of Sepphoris place I know, Rodney, you've been probably several times. The capital, the capital of Galilee. And if you'll look way back in the distance, up on the top of the ridge, that's Nazareth. Three and a half miles from the capital. In other words, it's like living in East Nashville and going down to the capital building downtown Nashville. Three and a half miles. I mean, how many of you just right now, live further than three and a half miles away. I mean, yeah, a ton of us. I mean, Blake lives almost four miles away, right, Blake? I mean, someplace called Brentwood, you know. And, and so, very likely, both Joseph and Jesus, as he grew up, would come here to work because it was a booming construction area during the lifetime of Jesus. Here at Antipas, that's where his palace was, the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And so Jesus was very likely a worker there, and Joseph was. Another thing about Joseph is he's a righteous man. I love the fact that in the text, he's called a righteous man. NIV translates it now as one who is obedient to the law. In addition to being a righteous man, he's a man in a conundrum. Now, the word conundrum is Latin for what Barney on Andy Griffith called a situation. Y'all remember that? You know, Andy, what we have here is the situation. Well, that's what Joseph said. What I have here is the situation. You see, Mary shows back up. She's been gone for four and a half to five months. She shows back up in Nazareth. And how long does it take for everyone in Nazareth to know that she's pregnant? You see, about one afternoon. Because all the women would go down to the local well in order to draw the water. And they would talk about what's going on in Nazareth, what's going on out in the suburbs, you know. And so it didn't take any time before Joseph hears the rumor. You know your fiancé's pregnant. What? I've often wondered what Mary felt like coming back into Nazareth. Facing her mom and dad. Knowing that Joseph was going to hear what had happened. And what happened to Joseph the moment he heard? That little girl that you were so excited about marrying has evidently met someone else. And so he's got to decide, what is he going to do? He's got a wedding coming up. 
I love this image from the chosen of Jesus in the wedding of Cana of Galilee. These were incredible events. The whole village would be there. There would be all kinds of celebrations, and there would be dancing and music, just a celebration. And you X that off the picture. That's now not going to happen. And so the text says that this is how this came about. And notice what Matthew says. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And of course we know from Matthew that it's from the Holy Spirit. We know that from Luke. Joseph doesn't know that. And that leads us to another quality about this man. He was a kind man. He finds out that his fiance has been unfaithful. And what does he do? He plans to divorce her quietly. You see, he could bring her into the city gates. He could call all the elders together. He could say, listen, the parents of this girl right here, they are responsible because she's been unfaithful to the agreement my parents made with them. I want her punished. But he doesn't do any of that. The text simply says that he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he thought he would divorce her quietly. I don't know how you do that in Nazareth. You know, I mean, everybody's going to know just as soon as he does it. But he's not going to make a big deal. And so he's thinking. He's processing. And that leads us to this characteristic. He's an obedient to God man, which is what I love the most. I don't know how long it went from when he found out she was pregnant to what happens next. I don't know if it was a day I don't know if it was a week. I don't know if it was a month. We don't know. Again, Mary, did you know? Joseph, did you know? But here's what we do know. But after he had considered this, Gabriel, Matthew doesn't tell us, but an angel appears to him in a dream. Fascinating. With Mary, it's in person. With Joseph, it's in a dream. And in the dream, the angel answers some of his questions. Mary, how could you? Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, had they sat down and talked and she heard the ridiculous story? I don't know. Had he sent a question to her and had she written back, this is the working of God? I don't know. Again, we don't know. But what we do know is an angel said, she's going to give birth to a son, and you, you're to give him the name Yeshua. Why? Because he is God's salvation. Have you ever woken up from a dream knowing you had to do something? I mean, somehow in the process of sleeping and dreaming, all at once the answer to your conundrum comes true, and all at once there it is. And for Joseph, it had to involve an angel as well. And so what does he do? He gets up, and he takes Mary as his wife. One of the most humiliating things could happen in that village, because you see, when he agreed to take Mary as his wife, it was his way of saying, I'm the father even though he knew he wasn't, and even though Mary knew he wasn't, and of course God knew he wasn't. But he was willing to take the humiliation in order to be obedient to his heavenly Father. And that simply leads us to one last question. What is God calling you to obey?
I mean, when you come to the Christmas story, it's ultimately a story of obedience. A story of a young man and a young woman who God steps into their life and literally turns it upside down and basically asks them a simple question. Will you trust me? And God asks that same question 2,000 years later. Will you trust him? Will you allow him to work in your life to do what he has planned for you? Which, by the way, involves the incarnation. Jesus coming, taking up residence in your life, and you being Jesus to the world. If you need to accept Jesus today, if you need to put your faith in him, be baptized into him, be clothed with him, we're here to help you. You can come right now. Let's together we stand and sing.